You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital State of Mind podcast. Today, we have Chelsea Winstead coming on the podcast. I've known Chelsea. I feel like I've started following you, honestly, when I like first started my VA account. I have known you for so long. We've talked in the DMs back and forth over the years, and we were just talking about how we've never actually talked face-to-face. So this is going to be super fun. Chelsea is, I feel like you wear a lot of hats. So I'm going to let her tell you what she does, but I feel like this is going to be a really good conversation um, in terms of how to scale, and I think we'll probably debunk some myths as well that are out there in the service provider space. So Chelsea, thank you. Thank you for being here and I will Yay. let you tell us how you got started. Amazing. Yeah, it, we have talked for a long time. So this is crazy face to face for the first time, but I'm pumped, um, pumped to be here. So yeah, I got started. I actually, this is funny. I started my business by being bored, which is maybe not like the most exciting way to explain that, but it's true. Um, I worked corporate um, as a project manager and I liked my job. I was pretty good at my job, but then I moved home and they let me work remote. And I realized that by not being in the office, basically my social life was about 80% of my work. (laughs) So when I started working remote, I would be done every day at like 11 a.m. And was bored and I couldn't leave my computer though, right? Because it was a nine to five. So I still had to be online. And over the. What were you doing in the uh, corporate space? I was a project manager. So oh, I okay. worked in corporate IT, yep, as a project manager. And it was really fun. I mean, I love the people that I worked with, but it just, I don't know, it just wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling because in corporate, you know, they give you the work. You don't pick the work. And I often also got like the worst clients ever. Like my accounts were just full of people that were not nice. So anyways, um, so when I started working remote every day at about 11, I started to be on my computer, but I didn't have any work to do. So I actually stumbled in the online space through using Upwork. That is really what happened. Cause I was like, okay, if I have to be on my computer, I would like to make more money. So how can I make more without having to go get another job, if you will, like in person? So I Googled like freelancers are working online, stumbled across Upwork. Then actually I worked on Upwork for probably six months and then quickly realized that that was much more profitable. Um, I could put my hourly rate really high and the thing, so I also um, at the time was uh, in the Air Force Reserves, so I didn't need the health insurance because I know sometimes that can be like a bit of a stipulation. So essentially, I was charging like double my hourly rate that I was making corporate online 
And it was such a no brainer for me to be like, okay, I'm literally not going to be doing this. <laughs> so I put in my, I probably worked on Upwork for six months, um, realized I literally could make double the money I was making. I put in my notice and I actually worked on Upwork for no kidding, like a good year and a half before I even stumbled onto the world of Instagram. Wow, and really? What year yes, is this? God. Um, 2019. Got it. 2019. Because I went yeah. down. You're going to literally laugh. I can't even tell you this. So I fell down some other rabbit hole of Shopify accounts. You know how you can like monetize. Oh, Lord. Yes. So I made Shopify shop- world. Oh, for like a good like 30 days. Because I just thought it was interesting. The whole drop shipping thing. I set up an account. But let me tell you, it was selling weenie dog. It was a weenie dog store. Why is, is it always the animal? I feel like people always start out with the animal drop shipping, like dog beds or these random yes. weird pet things. That's like, I don't I always hear that. Well, so because I have two long haired Dotson, so naturally I was like, this could be funny. Like, I'm just going to, I actually literally made like $500 or something hilarious. But so what I did That's was like my whole identity from, from <laughs> now on. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh God. So I hired a, um, I hired a social media manager to make content for that account and actually through them creating, like following all these accounts, like for growth and whatever. Um, that was one day I logged in and I went down like a rabbit hole of one of the followers and like, I literally stumbled onto Instagram and business coaching and nutritionist and personal trainers, group programs, like all of these things. And my mind was honestly blown because I had never seen I don't know, like I had never seen that before because my experience was all corporate, had no idea that it was possible to make true money online. That's actually how I then was exposed to my first coaching program, if you will, signed up, met all these amazing people. They were making a ton of money online. I was making good money through Upwork, but they were making a lot of money through Instagram. So that is really when, so that, I think I joined that program and maybe July of 2019. And so by like September of 2019, I had like a whole new friend group, a whole new understanding of, oh my, like you can actually do this online. And so ultimately I became an OBM because my corporate skill set perfectly married what an OBM would be in the online space. And so that was just through trial and error of figuring out I can take my skills that I already have and totally tap into what my friends now that run Instagram businesses, quote unquote, um, what they need. And it really just is history from there. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how your business has evolved since then? Because it's so crazy how quickly that can happen in the online space. I mean, two years ago in the online space feels like 10 years in the corporate world. So I literally... Yeah, I would love to like see your progression throughout that time. Yeah, so so I started out and I was still working with clients like specifically on Upwork. Met my friends through that group program, all good. Figured out I could be an OBM, especially because I, I've always been very tech savvy. Like just tech is like a skill set of mine. It's easy for me to learn. I started to learn all of the platforms that they use to understand how their business is launched, et cetera. So I want to say I landed my first paid OBM client in, I think like October of 2019. So I sold that for like $2,000 a month. It was essentially project management and team support. By December, I want to say I had scaled up to like 10K months with just my new like 
Instagram clients, if you will. And then by like February, I had hit like a 20K month. So literally it was like exponential because as you know, like just the power of referrals, word of mouth. Um, I also am I'd like to think fairly decent at what I do. So I would work with people. They would love like what our work would be like together. They tell their friends. And so I would say by, by like March of 2020, March of 2020. Yes. The years are all like, they all bleed together now because of, yeah, I know. So March of 2020, I hit a $50,000 month as an OBM and it just was this like, oh my, like this is absolutely insane because that's almost what I made in corporate in a year that I could make Mm -hmm. in a month. And so that is really when I looked around and a lot of my friends were struggling to sell their services the same way that I was selling mine, even though probably our actual deliverables of what we were doing were really similar. So then my friends started asking me like, hello, like how in the actual heck are you making this kind of money? So they were coming to me and asking for my recommendations, my feedback, like how did you sell that? How did you package this together? And then it really dawned on me that I really could teach people to kind of follow the footsteps that I had walked through Mm -hmm. crafting like their packages, selling like on sales calls, learning how to really set yourself up as a business. And so I want to say in April of 2020 was the first time I ran my first teaching people how to do what I did coaching program. Uh, It's called the accelerator. And Mm -hmm. then that really like skyrocketed another avenue of business because then all of those women started making easy 10 K months. Like some of them today now make 50 grand a month. And so Mm -hmm. as you know, uh, you start teaching people, they find success, they find results, they tell their friends and here the people come. And so now, um, actually at the end of 2020, um, I ended up going into business with my business partner now, Holly. Um, she is a branding designer, her total skill sets and design graphics, beautiful things. I'd say my strength is more in tech copy strategy. So we then became partners, um, and have created a company now called her HQ, where we specifically help female online service providers scale really large businesses with, you know, the skills they already have. So yeah, crazy. I love that. It's, it really, it really is crazy how quickly things move in the online space. I, it's a completely different world whenever you're used to being in, you know, corporate or, in college or whatever it is, it's just wild how quickly not only your business can grow, but just how it changes as a whole as well. Um, And I think I, I love your story in particular because there is such a huge belief in the online space that there is no room to scale unless you start coaching. And I am telling, I tell my students all the time, like, please believe that this is not the only way is to become a coach. There are so many things that you can do or, or places that you can take your business as a service provider where you are hitting multiple six figures a year. Um, so I would like to hear, you know, what you have to say on that, because I think that a lot of, I, I, I think maybe a lot of this belief comes from the fact that we don't see it that much because a lot of people don't think they can do it. So they therefore then just kind of rush into coaching or something like that because they just don't think that growth is there for them. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Oh my, lots of things. 
Oh, it's really actually like painful because exactly what you're saying. Um, even when I was in the position of scaling, I looked around and quite frankly, like nobody was making the money I was making, even at like a 20K month. Because like you say, so many people, they might hit, you know, like eight, 10K a month or so. And then immediately like they do coach, which is fine. But then when you're actually don't want to coach, because there's so many of our students now and they're like, thank you. Goodbye. I would never like to coach. It is not my passion, not my skill set. And, but then they, they fear, but I have never seen anyone else do it. So that literally happened to both Holly and myself. um, Cause I was hitting like 20 K a month, 30 K a month. And I looked around and I wanted to join some kind of container for help, but it was all for coaches. And I very much quickly realized that the business I ran was not a coaching business. Like I have work to do. When I get off a call, my work begins. When a coach gets off a call, their work is over. And I really just felt like, man, I really want guidance, but I'm not seeing anyone out there who seems to be like me that is making the money that I'm making or further. And truly that's where the demand for her HQ started because so many of our people wanted guidance, wanted help, um, but they didn't see it. And really what we focus on from that perspective is support and allowing you to be more strategic as your done for you business grows. So I'd say the bulk of our students that come through. So now we have the, so the accelerators uh, 2.0 version is called the accelerator mastermind. It's a 12 month container for service provider CEOs. And a big thing that we focus on in that container specifically is hiring profit margins, identifying like where you really are spending your time, what is revenue generating for you to spend your time doing? What could you actually outsource within your own company? So we're like big proponents of you know, what's funny to me is I actually think the opposite after, and you probably maybe feel the same way sometimes, like as somebody who sells coaching offers and also who sells done for you, 10 out of 10 done for you is way easier to sell. You can do it. Yeah. It's physically like I can do this work that you don't want to do and give you results. Would you like to sign up? The answer is yes. Whereas coaching, it's much more of inspiring somebody to believe in themselves, which is a very different ball game than telling somebody that you literally can complete X, Y, and Z on their behalf. Would you like to sign up? Yeah, because you can't guarantee the results. The results are contingent on the student being yes. receptive to coaching, yes. which is totally right. different from done for you services. Uh, um, truly. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think, and I've heard a lot, you know, um, in all the 2022 prediction posts, uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen yes. so many people talking about how done for you services are going to just completely blow up in 2022 and, and how that may kind of change what the online space looks like, which I think is really cool. Um, so for the people, and I know that, you know, everyone kind of loves knowing the behind the scenes and how yeah. it actually works, because I think in a lot of people's head, it's okay, well, I can only take on this amount of clients per month as you know, myself. So how do I scale beyond that? So um, can you kind of walk through what that transition looked like for you personally? For sure. Yeah. So um, I specifically was an OBM, so online business manager, where I really managed the operations, day-to-day, team, tasks, but I also did a lot of the tech setup. So like as a personal example, when I first started and I had maybe four clients, it was super easy for me to do all that strategy, project management, and own the tech. But then as soon as I got to say like six clients, now suddenly I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like, okay, I have a lot of work to do. I've done all my calls, but now that my calls are over and now I have to actually go out and 
implement the thing that we talked about. The big thing that we really lean on is really the power is in the strategy, not often as much in the implementation. The implementation is what keeps you sticky. The strategy is what keeps you important. So for us, a big thing, and even what I identified, is what I didn't want to do is remove myself from working directly with my clients. But what I did not want to do was always and have to be the one manually doing all of the work after. So then I built out my team in a way that I hired technical hands to implement the things that I would strategize with my clients on a phone call. And then I could delegate work out. So I think a huge piece is really... It's two part. A, it's identifying what is strategic that you don't want to outsource and that is your superpower. And then from that, what can you delegate with a few instructions? Because actually a lot of what we do, we think we can't delegate, but it's often slowing down to then explain to somebody how to do it, why it's important, the correct way to do it. I think another big thing though, and probably one of the most like monumental things that happens within some of our containers is really helping see like people see what they actually have to deliver for revenue. So sometimes I think that service providers specifically bite off on say A to Z, but actually all you need to do is A to B and the client will find value in that. So it's also as you scale identifying what does your offer actually consist of? What are you committing to? Can you be quicker with the delivery of what you're doing, either just from your own time or from hiring out? So for me, it was really identifying, okay, the actual superpower here is the strategy I have with the clients, the calls I'm having, identifying what we need to do, identifying what team members need to be tapped on. But then from that point on, I can then give that workload to other people and then take my time and then move on to the next client to be strategic. So I think generally what we identify is a lot of service providers really undervalue the strategic knowledge that they have from the work that they do. They put all of their value in the actual implementation, which in my opinion is half of the importance, but actually not the one that is seen as the most mission critical. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I think that It's once when you're in it, I I remember whenever I was a VA and, you know, eventually I got to the point where even though I wasn't labeling myself as that, I was totally doing those OBM type or playing that OBM type role in my client's business. And the strategy, I think that's so true. The strategy of what you're doing and oftentimes when you're doing it, you don't even realize like, oh, this is my strong suit. But that is so valuable because that's your mind and no one else can replicate the same strategy that you would coming into someone's business. Whereas there are a lot of people who could complete certain tasks or do things a certain way. Like you said, that's why you outsource. So for any of the OBMs out there or people who are, you know, VAs who are kind of transitioning into that role, what type of team or what type of people do you think is super important to have on your side when you are trying to scale in that way? Yeah. Um, I mean, for, yeah, specifically for any people, anyone who's like a tech VA, quote unquote, or a OBM, it's really, so I specifically owned Kartra. That was like my platform of expertise. I knew Kartra up and down, every automation, every workflow, like I was like a master at that platform. So naturally, a lot of the clients I worked with also use that platform. So for me, two of my first tires, one was like a landing page designer specifically within Kartra. And then another was like a email sequence automation workflow expert also within Kartra. So two people that... 
I think too, with outsourcing, a big no-no that people fall into initially is I would never outsource something that I personally can't fix or troubleshoot. And sometimes I think like with service providers, they think that to make more money, they have to have expansive offers and then they'll hire somebody. So like if I was a tech person, I personally like never had a copywriter on my team because if they were to like up and leave and quit, oh Lord, you do not, oh my, you do not want me to take that. <laughs> like I couldn't actually step in and like replace that value add. So I only ever hired people that I knew what they were doing. So in like a worst case scenario, I could jump back in and like solve the problem, which I think is really important from a stress perspective. So yeah, for me specifically, it was definitely hands-on technical implementation tasks that I could outsource to people who knew the platforms that I like were already working in. Um, And specifically I hired a lot on Upwork. So in the same way that like, that's how I started, I found a lot of my initial help through Upwork because it's hourly. It's easy to search through people's credentials, their background, their success rates, et cetera. So some of my initial hires came from that platform as well, because I personally knew that process using it as a freelancer. So then I knew that it would be pretty easy for me to then same thing, find competent, like really qualified people from that same platform. Mm -hmm. And have you found, I think that a lot of people's fear with outsourcing, it's so funny because, you know, whenever you are a service provider, constantly, every single day, you're telling people that they need to outsource. And then when it comes time for you to do it, you're like, but not me. Yes, <laughs> I yes. don't need to do it. It's scary. And it really is a scary process. Um, so <clears throat> what were kind of some tactics that you, or maybe even just mindset things that you had to work through whenever you were starting to outsource and give up some of that control of what you were offering to clients? Because I think that's a really big thing that yeah. keeps people at a certain income level because yes. they're that fear of outsourcing, even service providers themselves. Yeah. Um, two things. A, I always get my folks to like change their perspective. So you're not taking anything away from your clients by outsourcing. You're actually bringing more to the table because instead of just you being able to man the ship and respond to them and answer their questions and handle something that's on fire, you now have another person that has the ability to think, understand, listen, and answer. So I think so many people in their head, they say, oh my God, they signed up with me and now I'm taking away the fact that I'm not doing it, where actually I would challenge you to say, I always think two heads are way better than one. So you're actually doing your client a service by bringing on another person to help you. So I'd say for sure, A, like that's a good way to think of like, it's not taking away, you're actually adding value. The other thing is that when you do onboard somebody, I really have a, like the mindset of you should really treat that new hire the way that you'd like to be treated. We're all outsourced help, right? So if you've ever had a nightmare client, what was a nightmare about it? Were they unorganized, not responsive? Their systems were a mess. They weren't available to talk to you. They didn't get back to you on time. Think of like any situation that you've had that was non-ideal. Obviously try to not do that same thing with your hire. Um, I also specifically really recommend having some kind of project management tool to then add in tasks upload any kind of like, here's how to, so I'm a really big candidate of using Loom um, to then record my screen, really walk through exactly the process, exactly how to do it, then assigning that task over and then having time on my calendar to then go back and look at the work they did, checking in with them to see if they're stuck. I think too, sometimes we want to hire because we're on fire 
should be a t-shirt, right? Um, but then what happens is when you do that, you then often don't have a lot of time to then nurture and train that person correctly, which then may lead to you not having a successful relationship together. So right. when you hire, I'd say always create some white space in your calendar to check in with that person, Zoom call, co-working, anything that you can to check in, to give them the opportunity to ask questions. Because that's generally why a hire doesn't work out is lack of understanding confusion and then no correct avenues to then fix that problem until it blows up and you're so frustrated you're like oh forget it like this was just a waste of my time yeah I love that tip that you gave about starting to record things that you do even yes if you're prepping for a hire but I had a um, one of my clients when I was a VA <clears throat> this was something that she did just continuously throughout her business before she was even ready to hire or was thinking about it she would just record things that she was doing on loom yeah. and when I entered into her business that made things so much easier for me because I felt like I really was an extension of her because I had all of this video format of everything that she was doing in her business. And I think that's yeah. such a great tip for anyone who is kind of on that track, even whether you're a business owner or whether you're a service provider and you're wanting to start scaling eventually to just start recording everything that you do because you end up having this huge like manual of yes. all of these things that you either need done in your business or that you are offering as a service to your clients. And that's so helpful for people just kind of coming into that space. And you can never prep like too early, I feel. I think a lot of people yeah. wait too long to prep and then you're in a panicked state when you go to hire, which just really is not fun for anyone. So yeah, yeah. the earlier you can start, the better, no doubt. Yeah, I agree. So coming from the corporate space and kind of having a similar-ish role to what you then took on in the online space, what are the major differences that you see between the two? And kind of along that same note, what did you think of the online space when you entered? Because I always feel like there's a, a different answer for this from everyone. I love hearing people's opinions of it when they first got yeah. here. <laughs> Oh my. So I really, one thing I didn't, and you know, from like my military background as well and corporate, one thing I never loved in corporate is there's so many levels of approval. So what's so frustrating is like, you literally can have the answer. Here is the answer. This is the right way to do it. Let's change it. Oh, but hell no. Like, let's wait a minute. We have to submit it. We have to go to this meet. Like there's so many barriers in place to make improvements. It's to me like absolutely ridiculous. It just it really blocks efficiencies from being gained. One thing I loved is that in the online space, like you're literally talking to the owner. So if you on the whim create a better way to do something, they're often like, yep, cool, love you, kiss you on the mouth, let's do it. And I personally really loved the speed at which we could iterate, improve, and make things better because there were no barriers. So to me, I actually really loved that transition because one thing I never liked about corporate or like being in the military was that there's just so many levels of approval, supervisors, managers, like people who have opinions, et cetera. It makes it really tough to improve the business as a whole. Whereas when you work closely in the online space with an entrepreneur, they're pretty lean teams for the most part. So if you have a better way for them to make more money, be more efficient, save time, they're going to green light it immediately. And I personally literally love that. Um, I'd say some of the main differences is that definitely is like the wild, wild west out here. Like there is no rhyme or rule or reason. <laughs> yeah. um, there's no, you know, accreditations. Like you can literally sell whatever you would like to sell, however you would like to sell it. And that was probably like the wildest thing to me because come, especially from the military, oh my, like 
there are rules, there are regulations, and you will not cross over the line. Whereas here, there really is no, like, there's no gate, I, I don't know, there's just no line. It truly is just yeah. anyone can do anything that has access to a phone, a laptop, and the internet, which is beautiful, but also can be painful. <laughs> yeah, there's no regulation. <laughs> no, none, literally zero, absolutely zero. And I think of it's, yeah, it is really interesting because a lot of that is tied to, I don't know that it's necessarily tied to it actually, but it's very different when you as a person are the face of your business versus, you know, having a specific role, like being a project manager in the corporate world. It's very different once you are in the online space and you are the brand you, your personal life is so, you know, heavily tied into your business, even if you try to keep the two separate. And because you can really kind of capitalize on that. And there are a lot of people who kind of start out of the gate and sell their personality and don't really have the skills or like you were saying, the, you know, credit to be able to back up that service that they're selling. Yes. So along that kind of same note, that (laughs) ties heavily into the coaching industry. And it's like the coaching industry. Well, before we really dive into it, I want to ask you what, because even in my short time in the online space. You know, it's been two years now, which like I said, that can feel like a decade, but I've seen the coaching industry change a lot even since I first started it. So I'd like to hear what you kind of see the differences as well in that industry. Oh my. Um, Yeah. I'd say I have a pretty polar opinion on it. Um, What's really, okay. What I think really is fascinating is that I do feel sometimes like the business, like the business coaching realm can, it honestly feels like network marketing. It's like a coach coaches, a coach coaches, a coach. And it's like down, it goes down, it goes. And then what's kind of unfortunate is then sometimes at the bottom of that chain, somebody's first online business is being a business coach. And I personally just can't understand how that is morally right. I mean, if you've never ran a business ever of your own and your first business is coaching other businesses, like, Mm -hmm. unless the only caveat is like, say you work in a corporate position and you are like a brand manager, a marketing manager, whatever, there are some exceptions, but there are a lot of the time just really... I mean, I hate to say it, but like just unqualified people who sign up for a coaching program because it sells the pipe dream. They learn how to coach people. They learn how to sell coaching. So then they do it. They make money. And then really what's unfortunate is the person on the receiving end of that, they get caught in the pitch, caught in the sales strategies. They buy this amazing what they think opportunity from somebody and then they get inside and it is honestly just like a massive waste of their money and then that person forever is going to be scarred unhappy fearful to invest in the future it really just creates a bad I don't know like it just creates a a negative taste in so many people's mouths and I think what's a little tough is like you said earlier a lot of people do that because they fear that there is no money and done for you or they just they stumble into the online space and only are exposed to coaches. So they think that they have to come into the online space and be a coach. Um, yeah, I think really business coaching specifically, I think is the tough one. I think if you're coaching people on other avenues, that's a little different, but sometimes in the business coaching world, especially a lot of very underqualified people 
sell people and then those people don't find success and then those people either actually give up on their business because they've invested too much money they can't make it up and now like they're kind of in a position that they have to go back to corporate or they bump along struggle and even if an amazing mentor gets in front of them they're so afraid to then spend any money because that first investment was so brutal for them that they just are so fearful to get you know screwed over again yeah that's yeah, it really is scary. And I, I think one of the biggest like it really is. I, I I feel like there are whenever I first came into the online space, I really didn't see that many coaches. And maybe yeah. they were there and I just didn't see them, or maybe I'm just in this world now, so it's so much more obvious to me. But there have been a lot of people who have a transition to coaching, you know, in the past couple of years. And I being heavily in this world have seen some situations where someone even kind of outside of business coaching, but even maybe was a service provider who didn't see good results and could never really hold on to clients. So their first inclination was, okay, I'm just going to switch to coaching to try to kind of put a bandaid on this situation. And I feel like that is what can get really scary because when you're teaching or coaching people to do something, it should be something 100% of the time that you have successfully done yourself. Even if, like you said, that was in the corporate world, that's fine. But right. if it wasn't and you didn't do it in the online space, then that gets really tricky because as I'm sure you know, there's so much, so many more levels to coaching than just giving someone knowledge. There's having, you're going to be presented with so many situations that you may not have even personally been in, but yeah. you can pull on that experience to kind of help guide someone through that situation. But if you don't have that, that experience, you're essentially just kind of pulling things out of your ass. You know, It's really sad. I mean, and honestly, like a big reason that Holly and I actually went into business together is like we both fundamentally care much more about results than revenue. So like we will never put our name on something, sell something, sell something to somebody who like we actually know that we can't help in order to make a buck. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in this space are so addicted to that green like they are so addicted to the cash that like they just like want to blaze forward and somehow make the money and you're spot on I mean I think that especially as somebody so I actually have a master's degree in strategic leadership so my background and I got it because I was in the military never knew ever in a million years it would somehow play into working on the internet you know business <laughs> yes exactly but um even through like just the knowledge of understanding how people think, how they articulate, how they problem solve, how they work for, like through conflict, how they come together and solve problems. There's so many layers of how people's brains work. And it is really, I think at minimum, you have to have proven success in your niche, period. If not, then honestly, somebody just needs to spank your ass and you need to go home because that is just mm -hmm. embarrassing. Like there is no, you truly have no business trying to teach somebody else how to do something that you could not do successfully, period. I think furthermore, though, it even goes beyond like your own personal success. And I'm sure you've seen with your students, like if you are selling some kind of educational container and you're the only person that finds success, so if you drive students through this and they are personally not walking away with any tangibles, then like love you, but your lived story doesn't mean that you're always qualified to teach someone else. Right.
Right. You know, so it's about like understanding how do you channel questions? How do you present information in multiple ways? If you don't know the answer, do you have access to platforms where you can support that person? Like there's a lot of responsibility that comes from coaching. And again, as we've talked about, there's a lot of people that don't care, don't have enough background information, don't have enough knowledge, don't have the access to resources. And then they take money from people that truly genuinely need help. They don't yeah. serve them. And it just creates this like really monstrous will of underserving people who actually really need assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And with that, I think that, I think it's kind of interesting because there is no, there are no parameters yeah like like we just said there's no regulations yes so it's it's even hard within that like even if you are like I truly want to become a coach I truly have a unique experience then it becomes difficult because you're like well how long am I supposed to wait before I transition to this or how am I you know supposed to know for sure that this is right for me so for you know the people who are in that situation where they're kind of at this crossroads of, well, I am interested in coaching. Should I go that route or should I scale my business? Like, is there, I guess it's kind of a vague question, but how do you know that you should, you know, do that versus just kind of staying in your path that you've been on and scaling that to the next level? So from my experience and from a lot of the students that we've personally helped, coaching actually often comes from when you're really freaking good at what you do to the point that people start to know you for that thing. So we, like a lot of our students that actually scale their business to like 20K, 30K, like what naturally happens is then people like you look at what you're doing and they say, holy shit, like how are you doing that? So then you actually build this natural peak of interest because you're doing things that other people don't know how you're doing that. So naturally there's going to be this opportunity for you to talk through that process. So I'd say from, especially from the done for you side, like specifically, because even you like your story, right? Like made like zero to nine K boom, what's up? Like, it's easy to say, people are going to be like, oh my God, like, how is that, how is that possible? So what happens is when you do what you do really well, naturally you actually create sometimes a demand to coach people. The then question though is actually on a moral ground, in my opinion. So that's that whole, there's no answer. It's just, it's gray. There's no black and white. It's literally in the gray. What I always recommend when people get into that position, um, because, you know, a lot of our students, they do really well and they get approached by people and say, hey, hi, I want to learn how you're doing that. Can you please help me? Um, What I recommend is offering a private, like not going public and doing this massive launch, but just opening the door and saying, you know what? Like, I don't have anything built out. Be really transparent, but say, I'm willing to like work with you one-on-one walk you through my process, walk you through like what I personally have experienced, walk you through my setups, how I do this, how I do that. And then let's see like how it goes. So I would generally recommend if you want to become a coach or a mentor, I personally would do it through like private channels, like chatting with people, seeing if they're interested, if they say yes, doing it in a one-on-one, almost like a beta container where then you're very transparent that it's not a built out program. Everything is not worked out. We're going to make this together. And then it, this is the if and but. Many people at this point, they don't care if people get results. Yes. Mm-hmm. They just blaze through because they want to make the money once they've kind of put the energy in here. 
my professional opinion is that after you do maybe two or three rounds of this private one-on-one beta container, if you see that those people find a lot of success, then you're going to have enough data to then support that what you would like to teach can be learned, can be implemented by other people, Mm -hmm. can be sold as a mentorship or coaching container, because now you have that validation from people that have walked through that process with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think that one of the biggest benefits to doing it that way, because I started to notice this, um, my very first one-on-one coaching client, um, that was like, it's totally a transformative experience for you because it's so difficult for you once you, even if you are six, seven months into your business, whatever that looks like, that's not that long of a span of time from when you were technically a beginner. Yes. But once you start teaching other people, you realize that it is one of the biggest difficulties is putting yourself in that mindset of being the beginner again. Yeah. And that was something I noticed in my um, first round of DCA. We didn't have modules. There was It was just me and I was using that round of students to really build out the curriculum because you realize when you sit down and you try to build out that curriculum, you're like wow, it is really difficult for me to remember what my struggles were or what my questions were or what the framework I needed when I was a beginner was in order for me to now teach that to other people. And that first round of people really helps you build on that, like being able to see the results from that, seeing like, okay, this first student is now hitting five figure months. Like this is what worked with them. This is what didn't work with them. That's so helpful in building out a curriculum that actually can do the work itself instead of you having to be 100% present all of the time for coaching with them. Oh, and a lot of people don't. So one thing that I love, like from Holly and I, so I'm actually a pretty auditory learner. Like I can listen, understand, press forward. Holly is a very visual learner. So she needs like a deck and like replay it and watch it again and see it again. And so when we came together, we definitely like would butt heads because I'm like a very quick, like, boom, 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 let's do it. And she was like, whoa, not everybody learns like you. So then for us, it was like, okay, well, we need to have a back end that supports a variety of learning types because if right. they need that different type of information and I'm just stubborn, <laughs> then we're going to underserve someone because I'm just assuming, like you're saying, like, I'm good, whatever, it's fine. But in reality, people learn different ways. So yeah, like a hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. And do you feel like, I feel like this is a difficult question too, because this this is kind of something that comes up with being an entrepreneur in general. I feel like there's a lot of people that hold the opinion that there are certain people who just aren't cut out to be entrepreneurs. I kind of lean toward more towards anyone can become the type of person that is cut out to be an entrepreneur. But what's your opinion on that in terms of coaching? Do you feel like there are some people who maybe, not that they're necessarily not cut out for it, but just... How does personality play into that? How does, you know, being more like a leader play into that? I feel like there's so many kind of nuances about it, but I'd like to hear what you think. Oh my. Yeah. That's that whole, are you born a leader? Can you become a leader? And I mean, being in the military, like it's just an interesting, I do think some people can be born with a, or be not even born, be in environments in their life that naturally allow them to step into being a leader. So like, as an example, I was super dorky in high school, like high school president, all four years, 
captain of all the teams, like literal nerd, a all the freaking way. I mean, wow. <laughs> um, but I, I also was raised by like two men. My grandfather was really influential in my life. He was a leader. He was in the Marine Corps, was like a really high ranking person. He had all this respect. He raised me Then my dad also. So that's actually pretty unique. To, for like a female to be raised by two male influences. So I actually think for me, a big reason why I am so confident, why I am so forward is because of my upbringing. So do I think I come out of the womb as like a leader, like guns popping out? No, but I think that my upbringing had a lot to do with my confidence, how I approach things, how I am pretty forward because I was encouraged to be through the people in my life. Um, I think that from a coaching perspective, I think if you really have a passion for something and you really care to help people, I think what's interesting though, is I think coaching actually for a lot of people comes to you. People come to you if they want to be coached by you. I don't know how else to say it. I think service provider, it's in my opinion, the easiest way to be an entrepreneur because you take hard skills that you have. You do them for companies that are willing to pay you. You pick the terms. Like I don't honestly know why any, in my opinion, I don't know why you would not start off as an entrepreneur being a service provider. Right. It's like the most no brainer way to start your adventure. In my opinion, I really think that coaching often comes naturally. People look at people and naturally identify that they're a leader. So you always like, I feel like leadership is often like an earned title, not like granted. So when you show up in a specific way, people will come to you and look at you and say, I want your help. I think it's a little harder sometimes when maybe you don't have that natural presence or you don't have, you don't have people coming to you and asking and you're the one stomping your foot on the ground and saying, I'm going to lead you. I think you could do both, but I do think naturally if, like I was saying earlier, if you have a lot of business success yourself, what's going to happen? More than likely people are going to come to you and say, Hey, like how in the actual heck are you doing this? Which is what I do, but you're making so much more than me. That's a natural opportunity to lead. Whereas if you don't have that demand and then you just like want to put a flag in the ground and say, Hey, I'm going to do this because I want to, I don't think it's that you can't do that, but you're probably going to face a little bit more of an uphill battle than somebody who naturally has people coming to them and asking them questions organically. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, uh, it's And it's interesting because even within that, it's a lot of it comes down to perception from other people and personal yes. connection. Like I, yes. you know, could have, uh, for example, you know, I have the masterclass that I do with Aaron and, yep. uh, you know, no matter, we've done it so many times and inevitably we have very similar programs, but inevitably there are always people who are more connected to Aaron or more connected to me. And we're like, yes, yes go, because you do have to have that personal connection with your coach because you end up being put in such a vulnerable situation as the student yes. where you yes. have to be willing to, it has to be someone that it's almost like a photographer, you know, their job, a good photographer's job is to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel beautiful. And it's very similar with coaching. You do have to have that presence of bringing comfort in people to the point where they can open up with you. Because if you're not sharing your struggles, if you're not sharing, you know, the things that you are having difficulty with as a student, it's going to be really hard for you to see that progress that should come with any type of coaching situation. 100%. Yeah, I'd say that's right. And I do feel that. So me personally, I do feel that a lot of people are very drawn to my confidence. Like I just am 
it's like one of my strengths. I don't really know how I have it. Yeah. Can I teach you how I have it? Not really sure. I guess go back and be raised by two men. I don't know. Um, but it just <laughs> that's is the, something. That's the secret key. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> sorry. Press rewind to see you in 20 years. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. That's hard to teach. But I will say that a lot of people, a lot of women that come to me, they just feel like I want to be as confident as you. But confidence doesn't actually always have to be the leading characteristic. It could be like you're kind. It could be that you're thoughtful. It could be that you're creative. I want to be yeah. creative like you. So I think that yeah. ultimately coaching naturally comes from when you're really, in my opinion, I do feel that you have to have natural, not natural. I think you have to have proven talent to validate why you can help someone. Because if not, you're just another person with the title of coach with no true differentiation in the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And with that, do you, because I, I think there's always a lot of situations like with me, for example, you know, whenever I became a coach and kind of transitioned into that, I was definitely balancing coaching as well as continuing to help my clients for as long as I could. But it got to the point where I was like, okay, well, I can't give my 100% to both of these. So I focus more so on coaching. And now I do a lot of the things in my own business that I was doing for my clients. But that's not always the case when you transition into coaching, where you're doing all of those things in your own business that you were still doing as a service provider. So my question is, how? what's your advice for people in terms of, you know, being able to stay up to date with that experience that comes with being a service provider while also coaching at the same time? Because if you're not careful, there can become that disconnect because yes. services and industries change so quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'd say I, my answer would be two part. I think it depends on what you're coaching. So we have a few women in the mastermind right now where they have like booming, like done for you businesses, like honestly would be wild to shut them down because they are so profitable. They love what they do. Like their clients love them. It's amazing. But what they have done now is they've tapped into an opportunity to teach tech skills. So I'd say coaching actually to me is almost like a split part depending on the area that you focus in. So Holly and I, we don't teach tech skills. We specifically teach business skills, sales skills, marketing skills, positioning skills, like the soft stuff that doesn't have a right or wrong, which is a bit, I think, more difficult actually than teaching tech skills because tech skills normally there is a right or wrong. So I'd say if you're a done for you and you're teaching tech skills, Actually, it's pretty easy to maintain the done for you and the mentorship coaching because they really are synonymous. Like imagine if you were a Facebook ads coach, goodbye. Like when that whole thing like completely flipped on its head, you would have honestly been SOL if you were not actively running ads for clients because that entire industry was like flipped on its head. So we've had like students who had a essentially like a container where they taught other Facebook ads managers how to run reports, retain clients, et cetera. But then they did maintain and still maintain their done for you side of the business. Mm -hmm. I think the area that gets a little harder to maintain both is the business side of business, not the skills Mm -hmm. side of business. And so from that regard, um, I actually think it's a little easier to maybe let go because Mm -hmm. selling packages like those things aren't actually as um volatile as 
the actual skill, hard tech thing that you're doing. So I'd say like Holly and I, like, I mean, hell, when I'm 50, I'll still teach the same sales tactics of training because that probably won't evolve a ton. Whereas like the platforms that you use, the setups, the automations, Mm -hmm. the tools that will likely change dramatically, even in the next two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. There's, yeah, there are some things that stay pretty consistent throughout. Yeah the quickly or rapid <laughs> moving uh, online space that we're in because it, yes. yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, you, even I think about Pinterest, even, you know, whenever I've been training um, students on Pinterest management in DCA, the training that I made initially a year ago for how to do that now launching a Pinterest course was completely different. The yes. what's, you know, in the Pinterest course that I have now as opposed to the training I did a year ago for DCA, that training would not be relevant in any world of Pinterest right now yes, because right. those platforms change so fast. It's yes. very difficult unless you are in the tornado when it's happening to stay up to date on those things. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. I, again, like, yeah, tools, skills, like those are the tough things that really do evolve months like oh my I mean the Facebook thing like we were talking about that literally was like an overnight bomb that went off in that industry like specifically so yeah 100% so I think that there's um you know I think some people are kind of like okay well what is scaling my business individually and starting to outsource versus having an agency look like because there are a lot of people who want to follow that agency model in their business. So what would you say the major differences are between that? Like, would you consider yourself at that time to have had an agency or would you consider it to be more kind of like you at the forefront Mm -hmm. of it and then just outsourcing to, you know, your contractors. Yeah. This is like my favorite question and probably like a polar opinion in this space. So we're pretty like, I'm about to just say it. Holly's going to probably kill me when she listens to this. Um, I feel like we're actually quite anti-agency specific. Let me explain. So I feel like there's Instagram agency and then there's like real world agency. Like, I don't know how else to say, and I don't mean to be demeaning, but like, I really think that there's a huge difference. So when you think of like a big marketing agency, there's like an ads team, an email team, a social team. And then like within that team, there are 20 employees, right? So when you think of an agency, it's huge. There's different departments. There's then account managers that say own a relationship with the client, but then they then own connecting with all of the individual teams to make things happen. I often feel like in the online space, what actually happens is somebody, it's them in a VA and they call themselves an agency. Oh, said it. Um, but yeah. to me, that's not actually <laughs> like ending the podcast. <laughs> okay, I'll do instead. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> But so there's a couple of things. Do I think it's possible to scale an agency? Sure. The risk, obviously, and like, I do actually feel like there's a massive jump between, so Holly and I call this running a team-based business. That is what I would have identified as myself. So me, Chelsea Winstead, I am the lead strategist for every client. I know what's going on with every client. I know their launches and other products. I know what's happening, but I'm not day-to-day doing the implementation of their business. I also even mentioned this earlier. So the, as an example, say I ran an agency. I might have then had an OBM that works underneath of me, Facebook ads manager, a copywriter, a social media manager, and then somebody could have hired me, my company, to do all of those things. The risk with an agency is simply that if you don't know how to do all of those things, you are honestly royally screwed if somebody dips out. 
because now your behind is in the air with your pants down and you have no solution. Mm -hmm. I personally wasn't willing to put my reputation at risk if that were to happen. So we generally work with people who scale what we would call like a team-based business. So they offer like a core service that they're amazing at. So say like an OBM, that would be ops, tech, funnels, backend strategy. We would encourage that person to know what's going on in the businesses of their clients, but then have team members there to support the implementation of that work. We've, you know, we've actually coached quite a few people who actually had an agency and literally 85% of their profit was paying their team. Like, quite frankly, I'm just not even sure why you would do that. Like that is literally more work and stress for less money than if you just had two of your own clients with no team, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'd say for us, is it possible to scale an agency? Yeah, hundred percent. But honestly, agencies are generally at a really big scale really large scale like you have lots of money coming in like you're working with Mm -hmm. clients that are paying just your company alone like 50 to 60 grand a month right we generally see in the online space it's actually quite difficult to turn a profit a high profit as an agency because what you're doing is you're paying individual contractors quite a bit of money and clients in the online space aren't conditioned to pay you 20 grand a month They might pay you five and you're paying an OBM copywriter, social media manager. And now you're maybe making 500 bucks per client. Like Mm -hmm. what the hell is the point? Right. Where's the profit? Where's the profit? So we generally specialize in helping people scale team-based businesses, which means you are very involved, like within that company, you know what they're doing. So again, if somebody randomly quit, you could hop in and know exactly what's going on and fix that problem. Um, But you still can scale a massive company only owning a very specific portion of the business. I think sometimes there's a fear that you can't do that unless you own everything. But when you try to own everything, it is quite difficult sometimes to then scale that with high profit margin. Yeah, I think it's also very difficult to set up an agency. I think that there's a lot of confusion that comes with it because it, like you said, there is kind of its own definition of it within the online space versus the corporate space. Like everything. (laughs) Everything else in the world. I know, God. Always its own definition. I know, but it, it really is so difficult because you're like, oh my God, where do I even begin? And also, like you said, whenever you are bringing on people who you know, for for example, a graphic designer, I think it can be difficult to start to learn how to delegate to them versus when you're delegating something that you already are familiar with, like you're talking about. Well, because then you're really leaning in on them knowing what they're talking about, but actually Mm -hmm. you don't even know if they know what they're talking about because that's not your expertise. Mm -hmm. To me, it's just like, quite frankly, a big danger zone. Like I think it's easy to fall into just trouble with that. And then not feel like you know how to get yourself out of that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So for we were just talking about um, your confidence. Do you feel like, because I feel like my confidence is a 180 from when I first started my business. Do you feel like coming from the corporate world into the online space, how did that affect your confidence or you, your personality in general? <sighs> So when I first started, I really just felt like a dumbass, if I'm about to be honest. Like, I was like, this is so weird because, you know, I'd say this. I always, whenever we do our, like, trainings and stuff, I always say that corporate teaches people to be wallflowers. But in the online space, the way you make money is you stand out. And it really is like you truly have to, like, dump everything you've ever learned. And you have to literally, like, rebirth into this, like, true form of yourself that you're not allowed to be in corporate. So Mm -hmm. 
I've always been loud, proud in your face. I mean, it's like Southern sass all day. I will like, quite mm-hmm. frankly, let you know how it is. But I definitely felt like, like we were talking about, the Instagram world was so nuts to me. Like, I didn't understand it. I was like, this is freaking crazy. How do you even create, what is Canva? You know, that's hilarious now. Yeah. Wow. Like, you just, oh my, God, I feel you. Oh my. <laughs> you just feel like there's so much you don't know. So I'd say I've always been a confident person, but when I... There's so much to just like consume that it's very overwhelming. So when I first had my account, like I seriously felt like an actual moron. Like you're holding your thing and you're trying to talk to the camera. Oh God. It just was so embarrassing. Like so weird. I truly hated it. Um, And then like, I actually started to get just like a few people that like think with like something would be funny. And we talked about it earlier, how you're talking about your personal life and business life. I definitely think that corporate kind of screwed me a little bit. in the fact that when I started online, I was still living in that wallflower complex, like only business, strictly business, tips and tricks, business, business, all the business. But literally, I think the first time somebody ever laughed at something was I showed Christine. So I have like a whole highlight called Hottie Hollers where I literally just scream at my wife. It's honestly hilarious. Mm-hmm. So I did something <laughs> funny and recorded her. And I had like two or three people like respond and laugh. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like the one time I don't train on business, I get reactions. So stupid. Right. What the heck? So then it like literally like smack me in the face that oh god like I'm approaching this completely wrong like my stories should really be about me myself my life my house my dogs my kid my wife like the things that make me different and my feed should still articulate business value what I'm good at how I can help you but yeah I'd say like when I first started I was not confident like my personality is confident, but I feel like anytime somebody's thrown into a true whirlwind of information, you're going to feel intimidated. Like you have no idea what's going on. You don't know like what you don't know. But then actually when I just approached it and I didn't put that much pressure on myself, like just talk about whatever, just show whatever, show your life, like show Christine, yell at Christine. So funny. Like that is really when things started to pick up traction. And it was that moment literally that I was like, I truly won't smack somebody this whole time. I have been stressing out and all I had to do was show my wife and that's all I needed to do to like create a connection. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's, it is so, it feels like the only thing I can think to compare it to when you come into the online space from being in the corporate world is like, I live in, you know, we both live in the South, but in North Carolina, like, (laughs) I feel like people who live in small towns are like, and me included, we're like, oh, I have good style. Like you think you have pretty good style or whatever. And then you go to somewhere like New York and you're like, oh, (laughs) you are you could be like the best dressed person in your small town and then you go somewhere like New York and you're like well well I don't stand out at all here I feel like that's how it feels like coming into the online space from the corporate world because you could be like the most outgoing person the most confident person at your office and then you come into the online space and you're like oh I feel like I'm five years old again afraid to like go meet people in school and yes I think it's comforting though to know that everyone feels that way like I felt that way you felt that way we've both been very successful in our businesses but when you're first starting you feel like you've been thrown up in front of a, a college class having to give a presentation to people that you have never met in your life it's terrifying. it's very weird yeah it's and it's it's and what's even more bizarre is that it's just remote 
Like it's not even in person. So it's right. truly not even like we're walking into a physical building. We're literally sitting at home with no pants on and we're terrified. Like what? Concept? <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> It's so funny. So for those people, kind of going back to scaling, for those people who are listening and who maybe are OBMs or at that point where they really feel confident in what they're doing and they want to start scaling, but they don't really know where to start, what would your or what were your first steps in that process? Yeah. So the first thing definitely was starting to, so I sold all retainers. Like I never sold hourly just because like I did hourly on Upwork and I knew I really wanted to get away from like that hourly concept, if you will. So I specifically started to identify how much of my time was spent on the phone and like chatting and like strategizing and how much of my time was spent doing. So like implementing in the back end, doing the tech. And so I downloaded like Toggle, I think at the time and just like tracked my time. And I almost was like, oh my God, it was like, you know, maybe 15% of my time was spent um, on the call, chatting, talking, and then literally all the rest of my time was doing tech. And as I was going through it's like, okay, is it kind of complicated? Sure. But I simply cannot be the only person who can do this. Like, come on, there just can't, there has to be another way. So I think that, because here's what started happening. So I probably hit, I don't know, I probably hit six clients on my own. I dumped all my Upwork clients and the requests kept coming. More people in my DMs and more people chatting. And it was like, oh God, like I'm already working about 35 hours a week or so. I can't realistically take two more clients on or I'm going to be working like 60 hours a week and I'm not trying to mm -hmm. like, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. So I like had this pressure to figure it out because I had demand, but I felt like in the current state, I simply could not continue to maintain all of those clients. So also, as you probably know, some things you do are repetitive, so over and over and over again. And it was yep. those things that initially kind of struck me as I don't have to do all of this. Like somebody else could do this. And so when I'm up work, I look for like a tech VA or like a tech like assistant. And I, I used to sauna at the time and I just started off with a few tasks. It was like one client, like four or five things. And it was nuts because actually because they were laser folk, because you know, when you work with multiple clients, you're also like pinging, bing, 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 like you're yeah. going all over the place. And so yeah. one day I gave him like five tasks and literally in like 10 minutes he was done. I was like, I will be kissing you right on the mouth. Yeah. So I quickly <laughs> realized that, okay, like I just gave him what I thought was going to be a few hours of work and literally in 10 minutes, but it's because he didn't have the distractions. Right. You know, so that was like for anyone that's looking to do this, think of things like what are you doing consistently all the time over and over again? It is mission critical for the client, but for you, you know that you could sit down and create a how-to explanation to give this to somebody else. I'd say start with that because that will quickly help you see that it is possible. And then it actually, when you give somebody something and they do it and they do it right, you then it's like a high because you're like, oh my gosh, okay, if you can do that, you can probably do more than that. And so that is really when things really started to pick up cadence for me because we built that trust. I kept outsourcing more. And then by the end of it, like I really was just strategically talking to clients and assigning tasks and not doing any of the implementation anymore. Yeah, I love that. It is. Yeah, because whenever you are trying to focus on so many things as the service provider, 
I feel like you go, you're constantly switching between different personalities almost, like showing up on the call and you're kind of on the stage forward facing and then immediately having to switch to the back end of things and be involved in this task and then switching to a different client's tasks. It's very difficult for you to remain efficient because your brain simply can't switch between different categories of tasks that quickly. Yes. So I'd always say like, especially for those of you that do pull the trigger and like make a first tire, you know, like grab somebody who can help you. I always, um, so I try to stack all my calls on one day because then it just allows you to be efficient. But what I do is I always bubble in a 15 minute block after each call to then assign work out. So instead of like you line every single meeting back to back, because then you're going to forget immediately after that call, take 15 minutes, create task, go to the bathroom, get a water, get ready for the next one. Cause then literally in one day you could bang out all of your calls, then your team's working on your task and you're just checking in on the status of those tasks throughout the week. Yeah. What's your favorite um, project management system to use with your team? So I'd say when I was heavy in the OBM world, I actually did really like Asana because most of my clients, quite frankly, used it. And it was, I mean, if you have Asana and other people have it, it's pretty easy to bounce like back and forth. Nowadays, we have officially moved to ClickUp, which is like my like total wet dream. But I'd say Mm -hmm. my clients... That was not their skill set. So I actually utilized the platform that they most likely use because then my team, I would actually put them in my clients, different PM tools to support me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want my team bouncing between Asana, ClickUp, Trello, et cetera. So all of my clients worked in Asana and that is generally the platform that we used. Okay, cool. Yeah. Have you um, tried Notion yet? So it's funny. It's like a big notion click up battle right now. So here's what's actually funny is I, you're going to be like, wow, Chelsea, not surprised. So I, from a tech background, feel like anything that's customizable breaks. So my concept and thought process generally is that when you give people power to create at will, generally it gets lost. You forget how you do it. Somebody messes it up. Things get lost in translation or something like ClickUp. It allows you to be creative, but within parameters. So I'd say because of my very rigid military background, I like spice, but with parameters. And I feel like Notion is honestly just like literal the lot. Notion is Instagram. (laughs) No rules, no limits. It seems beautiful. But also on my team, I generally am like the creator, like you, like a lot of the things that you do in your business, same with me. My team Mm -hmm. generally is not as like systems tech heavy. So even ClickUp is like good God. So Notion, I think they'd all quit the business and, you know, leave me. Yeah, it's Notion is so intense. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it's better for like individuals versus Mm -hmm. a team. And I think that that's kind of the same with like Trello versus Asana. I think Trello can be really good for teams, but Asana is better for teams. Thank you. Trello is better for individuals. Thank you. But it's so funny how there's always like the the battle. Like for a while, ClickUp was really popular. And then now, right now, everybody's like Notion. Notion is really cool. I'm just, yeah. It's funny because working in tech, like my old life, you know, anything custom, 10 out of 10 is going to break. I promise to God it will break and it will not work and somebody will be mad. So I run very far away from anything custom tech. It always seems to not be friendly. Yeah, it's very overwhelming. It's when you have that much power, <laughs> you're like, oh. Uh, the answer is A. 
<laughs> we make everything way too complicated and no shit. <laughs> oh, see, that's probably it too. Everybody's like made it so sexy for like no reason, but you know, yeah. here we are. Here we are. Welcome to Instagram. <laughs> Yep, that's it. So uh, as far as, uh, you know, anyone that's entering the online space, what advice would you give to just kind of new entrepreneurs in general, those who maybe haven't established their business yet, maybe they aren't ready to start hiring, but they're just kind of coming into this space and wanting to start, whether they have a corporate background or not, what would your advice be to them? You know, it's a big question. Yeah, I'd say two things. Um, I'd say, first of all, I won't lie. I think using Upwork for me was honestly like a godsend because I do feel like a lot of people, the reason that they seek out working in the online space is for freedom, physical freedom, like not having to go into an office, not having to like be online nine to five. So I do feel that my experience on Upwork made my transition a lot easier because I wasn't, I know a lot of people they're at a nine to five or maybe they're in school and it's like a deadline. Like you have to have this done by this day. And there's so much pressure. Whereas something like Upwork, you literally take the hard skills you already have Literally, even if like your only experience is working like fast food, that's customer service, girlfriend, like that, you know, like you can literally take any skill that you have implemented on something like Upwork and then get start getting that income inbound while you're figuring out the rest. Um, So I definitely say that. I also think that we kind of touched on this, but I do feel truly the easiest way to enter this arena is by doing some kind of done for you work based on a skill set that you have. So instead of like, recreating the wheel it just depends too on like your interest you know for me I definitely just wanted the physical freedom I wasn't actually seeking to like make a ton of money when I left my corporate job I just didn't want to have to sit at my computer from nine to five it was brutal Mm -hmm. so for me I really just wanted to be able to work from a bar work from the beach like whatever I didn't actually care if it was the same type of work I was doing I just didn't want to have a boss you know so for me like Upwork allowed me that freedom to start making income without feeling like I had to have a boss. But then especially if you're dabbling on Instagram, etc., I really would encourage anyone to look at hard skills that you already have. How can you serve clients with skills that you currently possess instead of like, because I also, I don't know if you feel this way too, but a lot of people will jump into like a 16 week coding program and it's like, oh my, like that's fine, but isn't necessary. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that something you said there about how whenever you first started, you weren't looking to make a ton of money or anything like that. I think subconsciously, like a lot of us, or what I've seen at least, because I kind of felt the same way. I was just like mind blown by the fact that I could even work online (laughs) and provide for myself. Like that alone was just shocking to me. And I've, what I've seen a lot of the times is the people who do enter the online space with that mindset of, I just want to be able to provide for myself and my family and yes. have that freedom. It usually ends up that they are the ones who profit <laughs> so much in their business because yes. they are focused more on the connection with people. They, you know, just being able to support themselves and they're usually putting out more better, better work because yeah. they aren't only focused on the money the profit of it because you're gonna say yes to things you shouldn't say yes to you're gonna overwhelm yourself and not be able to you know uphold a good reputation in the online space and it can crumble really quickly when you're only looking at it from the financial side of things 
Literally, the one thing that you truly never want to mess up is your reputation. And I think that's why Holly and I are so, so polar in the fact, like, so this last round of, we run a program called Foundations. It's like helping people scale to like 5K months, et cetera. But generally they have to have picked a niche or specialty. Um, in that container, it's, yeah, I mean, how do you even, I don't know, like, it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it is crazy. I guess it's like mind blowing to me that so many people, they just care about the cash. Like we were talking about earlier coaching and et cetera. And just like you said, like people who come into the container and they just like want to hit a certain amount of money to live. Not like, Oh, I've been in business for four months and I'd like to make 20 grand. Is that possible? Maybe, but is that realistic? Probably not. And then they're going to have really high expectations. They're not going to be happy. You're so right. Like it really is like the people that have realistic expectations just want to have freedom generally are the ones that show up. And then funny enough, because they approach it with good intention, they, they make all the cash, you know? So yeah, I, I yeah. agree. And people in the online space talk, like, more so than any other industry. If you are trying to get by with not providing a good service or, you know, your business looks good on the outside, but what you're giving to clients isn't good, you better bet that dozens of people are going to know about it from one one bad client experience. If not, and that's hundreds either of side. That's done for you yeah. side or coaching side. Because yeah. I definitely have seen people who sell an amazing yeah. offer. They don't provide. They ghost. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, you really do have one shot. I feel like all you have to do is one is run one round of something that you don't show up on. You oversell maybe and under deliver, which as you know is like critical point of failure. And right. you best believe you're going to have, it's like Yelp, you know, or Google reviews. It's yep. like, when did people leave a comment? Oh, they are mad as hell. This burger was disgusting. I'm going to write about it. But never, they come 15 other times. And when it was great, never said one thing. But the moment it's right. bad, you best believe everybody in town knows about it. It's the same thing. Yep. Like yeah. it's so much more likely that if it's bad, people will truly go out of their way to tell everyone about it. So you really do have one shot to not mess up. Because once you do, Girlfriend, you better open up a weenie dog store. <laughs> start, start selling those dog beds. <laughs> That's what you default to. Drop shipping is now your only option. Goodbye. That's, uh, the, that's like the uh, the the uh, purgatory of the online space. You just get thrown into having to sell animal products. Oh, that's my like default, you know. Truly, successful pet business owners are like, screw these girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. It is true. You're spot on, though. It really does take one bad. It's also too like just not owning up. You know, I think that's what we talked yeah. about earlier. Having like a beta program makes sense. Like, be honest. If it's not together, if it's the first round, say that. Like, you'd rather be transparent and like admit that things might be wonky, things might be off. Yeah. Like, it might not be perfect. But if you sell that it is perfect, that it is amazing, that you're going to do all right. these things, that people have had all these results, and that's not true, you will definitely be selling dog beds. Goodbye. Yes, for sure. And it works on the flip side of that as well. Like there are so many of my clients I got and had a wait list because of referrals. Like yes. if you are providing good experiences and good services to your clients, your business starts to be self-sustaining. And I think yes. that this is something I really try to emphasize to people who are like, 
or students that come in and they're like, I don't want to have to show up every single day. I don't want to have to constantly be, you know, this big social media presence in my business. And I tell them, you know, for a while in the beginning, you may have to put your put yourself out there more than you would like to, but eventually your business can get to the point yes. where it's completely self-sustaining, where you don't have to be as, you know, constant in your your presence online. I know people who post a few times a, a year and are making six figures as a service provider because yes. they're providing such an amazing client experience. So, are people that make that the most post the least? Yeah. That is honestly referral also, service providers, goodbye. That is how you really pick up massive traction is referrals. And just like you said, all you have to do is do an amazing job with a handful of people. They will sing your praises and like hear yeah. the people come. And you truly, yeah, like a lot of our people say the same thing. Like, oh, I hate it, blah, blah, blah. Understandable. But you just have to pick up a little traction. And that will often is just self-sustaining. Like you don't have to pour much more into it once you get to that point. Yeah. And people, I think that, you know, this kind of goes into the topic of like oversaturation. I think a lot of people coming into the online space are afraid to do it because they feel like there's too many people out there. But trust me when I say every business owner struggles for a while to find someone to bring onto their team because it is still hard to find people that give an amazing client experience that are service providers. So when you are that for someone, they are like, oh my God, this is amazing. Everyone hire them. Yeah, for sure. And it's often rooted too in like your passion. So a big thing that we try to like harp on is, you know, you should use your hard skills that you like currently possess, but then you really should be doing something that is fulfilling to you because like okay as an example i'm like not you're gonna be like wow goodbye i'm not into the woo like woo and like mindset like that is great and that is just not me i am like very direct no bs straight to the point tactical like that's yeah. my personality so like for me often the clients that i attracted were like me do you know what i mean because like that's right. like we have a similar vibe whereas if somebody yeah. came to me and they were like a spiritual coach cool, I am not going to be able to like serve you very well because I'm just not actually bought into like right. your business. I, I probably would right. say a little bit nicer, but you know, we're all friends here. Um, but then okay, I would I then, <laughs> goodbye. So then I, but I would send them a lead of an OBM who loves that kind of stuff because naturally right. that person will serve them better than me yeah. who like, I'm just not naturally into that kind of business model. Right. And so I think for- right a lot of people too, that level of commitment, passion, love is often like deep rooted in why you actually do what you do. And do you actually love the people that you work with? Because if you are in love with the clients that you serve, it is easy to provide an amazing customer experience because you're committed to not only your business, but to their business as well. I agree. And that's, I think that a lot of people there's there's something to say for being able to transfer your corporate experience or you know whatever it is to your online business but you don't have to go into the industry that you were working in in the corporate world. I almost no. made this mistake when I was first starting and I thought, well, I've been in the health industry for this many years. Mm -hmm. I should work with health coaches or fitness coaches mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. But I didn't love it. I wanted to be in the more creative side of things. And funny enough, my first client was a fitness coach and I loved <laughs> her, but I didn't love that business. So yes. it was difficult for me to be present and to give the same experience that I would give to the creatives that I was working with. So I think that um, for anyone who's kind of coming into this space and maybe 
struggling with choosing a niche or they are in a niche right now that they don't love, don't choose your niche only based off of the experience you have because you can learn skills. You can learn how to work in different programs, but you can't just create the passion and desire to work with a certain niche out of nowhere. And also don't like work with a niche because you think they have money. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that is yeah. this, you're going to end up in the same position, you know, but I, a lot of people think like, oh, but this niche doesn't have money. Yeah, they do. You just have to target a more established business owner in that niche. You shouldn't be targeting people who are just getting started because like they don't have, you know, like they don't, they don't have the money, but any niche has an experienced and profitable business owner. You just have to be able to identify Mm -hmm. who they are and how you can specifically help them. Right. And sometimes that, I think that we kind of look at things so, you know, black and white in business. Sometimes you can work in a niche that's very parallel to your end goal niche. And then by establishing a reputation in that niche and really kind of carving out a certain space for yourself, it becomes, it's like that to be able to get in front of those ideal business owners that you want to work with. So you can always find those intersections of what you love. Sometimes it just takes exposing yourself to, you know, the online space and starting to see different industries to figure out where that intersection is for you specifically. Exactly. And it, it's just deep rooted in passion. You know, I think that's yeah. a reminder sometimes our people need is you are leaving a corporate world or you're deciding not to enter it. Cause I know some people like a lot of your party, like they're, they don't want to like enter a corporate world and go work a nine to five and not make good money. They want like freedom and right. choice and to work with people that light them up. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's about, you really should from day one, like you can say yes to a bunch of things to gain experience for sure. But at some point you really should carve out a North star and work right. towards working with people in a specific industry that you have passion for. Cause that's really where you fall in love with what you do. If not, you basically just work at home with no pants on and still don't like what you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> so key takeaway is that follow your passion and yes. don't think that coaching is the only route to go to scale your business. <laughs> exactly. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. I feel like this is going to be such a helpful topic because I get asked all the time if coaching is the only way to scale and you're proof that that is not the way it has to be and plenty of other people that you work with are proof of that as well. So I think this is going to be inspiring to a lot of people. So tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Yay. Yes. This is so amazing. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my personal handle is Chelsea S E A dot Winstead and, um, our business handle is her co. We would love to hang and connect with you all there. Yay. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk to everyone on the next episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the digital state of mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. Follow along with us on Instagram at The Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? (laughs) Talk to you next time.